Welcome to the Life Church Podcast. I'm Tim Blevins, lead pastor, and I'm honored you have come to join us. To experience our full service or for more information, check out the links in the description. I hope this message ministers to you and helps you find life in Jesus. Come on, let's give that a clap. It is finished. Let me get, begin with prayer this morning. Father, thanks for this day. God, I thank you that we get to gather in your house. And, and Lord, as we talk about Jesus and it is finished, Lord, move our hearts. Help us to open our hearts to receive from you. Let your word move us, Father, today. Lord, we love you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, we are beginning a series today called It Is Finished. Uh, today and next Sunday, which is Easter, cannot wait for the Easter services. It's going to be a wonderful day in the house of the Lord to worship and just celebrate Jesus. Before I jump into today's message, though, I do want to give a quick update about our building because this room that we're in right here will be the last time we have Palm Sunday and Easter Sunday in this building because we'll be moving into our new building. So yay for that. Um, if you're new to us, this is uh, First Baptist Church's activity center, and we rent this from them on Sundays. And on Sunday mornings, we set all this up, and then Sunday after church, we break it all down, and we do that over and over, waiting for our new building to be completed. We are renovating the old jelly bean skating ring, and it's going to be the, the home of Life Church. And so a couple quick things for you to know uh, about the progress of where we are on the building. We are continuing the, the finishing work on all the electrical and all the plumbing is almost completed. The fire sprinkler system is completed, which is good news. The stage is built. I was in there the other day and everyone was gone and I jumped up on the, the platform and I was in there by myself and I just started praying and just, I started preaching a little bit and, and I was just imagining all of you there. And I was like, here's Jody on my right hand. And, and some of y'all are going to get all messed up. I don't know where you're going to sit when you come in. I'm going to be looking for you all over the place, but, uh, it was just an amazing moment. I'm like, the presence of God is already in this place. And, um, I'm getting a Bible. I've, I'm, I'm ordering a Bible and I'm putting it under the platform right where I preach. And I'm opening it up to first John five twelve, which says he who has the son has life. And that's our church verse. And it's just going to be, it's just going to be the foundation. The word will be the foundation that we stand on. I can't wait for that. Um, so things are moving along. And uh, the big question is, is when do we get to move into that space? And, and so the good news is we're still on track for September ish. Everybody say ish. ish. Ish means we think that's the date, all right? And so if you've ever built anything, you know, things do this. Um, so ish could be August. Awesome. It could be October. And so, but we'll see. So September-ish. Amen to that? Amen. All right. Our series, it is finished. My sermon title today is how to prepare for Easter. I want to help us be ready for Easter. And so I have some practical ways to help you on the screen or five things that I would recommend to help you get ready for Easter. Number one, you ought to purchase your Easter eggs and your chocolate bunnies. Amen to that. Hey, how many of y'all like peeps, by the way? Do we have any peeps people in here? We got a few peepers here. Listen, I'm not a peeper. My wife is a peeper. She doesn't have to share the peeps and, and, and it's, I don't know. I think they're kind of weird. I don't know. So I don't eat the peeps. Um, but you know, maybe buy the peeps. Number two, 
plan a lunch or dinner for Easter. And if you're getting like, if you're going out to eat, you better call now because you know the restaurants fill up. And so schedule it, you know, in advance so you'll be ready. Number three, volunteer to help at church during Easter. Amen. Let's try it again. I'm gonna, I'm gonna say that and that's for you to say amen, Pastor Tim. And that means you're gonna do it, all right? So number three, volunteer to help at church during Easter. Amen. All right, so this side did pretty good. That's awesome. Um, listen, um, Easter's a huge day. Lots of people come. Our kids' ministries are gonna be filled with children and we'll need extra parents to help with that. So if you've received a, a request to come serve, this would be a great day to say yes to that. Also, after Easter, we get to clean all of this space up and pack it into a trailer. And if you're on the breakdown team, we would love for you to say, yes, I'll be there for that. You can plan your lunch just a little bit later. Just push it back a little bit and you can still go eat. That would be great. Um, if you're on the setup team, and because you won't have to set up next week because we don't have to break down today, you can come help break down. It'd be awesome. We have a goal to be finished with breakdown in less than an hour. So we're gonna be going for it. So sign up to volunteer. Number four, attend one of the two Easter services offered at Life Church. And then after church, host an Easter egg hunt. That's a lot of fun. Enjoy a meal with your family. That's very practical advice, right? Maybe there's a little more for us than just Easter eggs and peeps. What I wanna do is to take today, prepare you spiritually for Easter. I want your hearts to be moved towards Easter. And so that's what we're gonna do today. I wanna, I wanna get us ready. This is called Holy Week for the Christians on our Christian calendar. And Holy Week begins today, ends on Easter Sunday. Today is called Palm Sunday, and it ends on Easter Holy Week. I put a, a guide in your hands. Why well, didn't somebody did? Thank you to our serve teams. But um, we have a guide that we put in your hands. And so today I'm going to go through this guide with you and just to help you just to think through how you can celebrate and be a part of Holy Week. And I think as you understand each of these parts, it will prepare your heart. It will prepare you to come to Easter next week. And so I want to begin today with Palm Sunday. Today is Palm Sunday. And on this day, we celebrate Jesus's triumphal entry into Jerusalem. Now you can see on each of these days, I've given away how to observe it and I've given a Bible reading. And so these are things that you can do to help you celebrate and prepare your heart for Easter. But let's talk today about Palm Sunday for a few minutes because this is the beginning of Holy Week and, and this is the culmination of Jesus's mission on earth. Now we have to go back to the life of Christ to understand Holy Week. And this was his last week of earthly life before the resurrection of Christ. And so this is that last week moving into it. It's the, it's the culmination of his mission. The Bible teaches us in Luke 19, 10, it says the son of man, he came to seek and save the lost. And so everything he did pointed to this week. So Christ, he lived his life and he, he did the miracles and he did so many things that, that brought, us to this, brought him to this point of his last week of ministry on earth. It was time now for him to claim his title as the Messiah, the, the Lord of Lords, our Savior. So for three years leading up to Palm Sunday, this, this particular day, 
Jesus had spent three years. He'd been preaching the kingdom of God and he had been caring for the poor and healing the sick and performing miracles and casting out demons and training his disciples for the future. And he proclaimed that he was the son of God and he forgave sins and he confronted the religious leaders who were, who were hating him because he proclaimed that he was the son of God. He, he raised Lazarus from the dead. And so he did all of these things that had, that had positioned him coming into this last week of ministry. Now, Jesus knew that his mission was almost finished at this point. Now, this is the final week. And at this point, Jesus had become immensely popular. The, the, the region was completely aware of who he was. The word about his miracles. Matter of fact, he had, he had um, prayed for Lazarus to be raised from the dead probably about 10 days before this. And so, so the stories of him were everywhere and it was like a buzz. Everybody was talking about Jesus and everybody was talking about Jesus. And so this is that last week. And so there's such a buzz about him and it brought it to this, this culmination point. Jesus is about to enter Jerusalem. And this was the beginning of Passover. And the city was filled with travelers and, and locals. And matter of fact, I read that the city probably had five times the number of people in their normal population was there at this time. That they had come to Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover. And so it was packed out. Can you imagine Wilmington with five times the number of people here. I mean, it's already crowded if you've tried to drive around. Imagine just, you know, multiplying that times five and trying to get somewhere. It would be mayhem. It was crazy with the number of people that were there. And so this was the time that Jesus was going to enter the city. And it was during the time of Passover. Now, Passover is important to understand just a little bit. And so let me just give you a quick understanding of Passover because that's the celebration that was happening in Jerusalem at the time. And so for, for the Jewish people, Passover was a week-long remembrance of their deliverance from bondage and slavery from Egypt. So when they were held in captivity by the, by the Egyptians years before, they, they were like 400 years before, they had been under this slavery and bondage and they cried out to God. God heard their cry and began to deliver them, sent Moses. And then there were the, there were the plagues that came. The final plague was, was that the Lord would, 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 would kill and put to death the firstborn of every son. And so God told Moses to tell the people though, in order to be saved, to be spared from the angel of death, that they had to slaughter a perfect lamb. And the perfect lamb then once it was slaughtered, they would take the blood and smear it over the doorpost of their home so that when the, the angel of death came through that area into Egypt, it would see the blood and it would pass over them. The death would pass over them and to those who did not use the blood of the lamb. This was that celebration going on in Jerusalem that they were there for. And I find it so symbolic and powerful that Jesus was about to enter the city as they celebrated Passover. They celebrated a, a lamb 400 years before that was slain to give them deliverance. And Jesus is now coming into the city to proclaim that he is the lamb of God, the final sacrifice for all mankind. 
Now, the people in Jerusalem did not necessarily recognize Jesus as a, as a spiritual savior. They wanted someone to come in as a, as a national savior. But at this point, Jesus had become hugely popular and they're having this celebration and Jesus is about to enter the city. And it says this in verses one through 11. It says, they approached Jerusalem. They came to Bethpage on the Mount of Olives and Jesus sent two disciples saying to them, go to the village ahead of you and at once you'll find a donkey tied there with her colt by her. Untie them, bring them to me. And if anyone says anything to you, say that the Lord needs them and he will send them right away. And this took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Say to the daughter Zion, see your king comes to you gentle and riding on a donkey and on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Verse six says the disciples went and did just as Jesus had instructed them. And they brought the donkey and the colt and they placed their cloaks on them for Jesus to sit on. And it says then a very large crowd spread their cloaks or their coats on the road while others cut branches, palm branches, and they spread them on the road. And so as Jesus was entering the city now, riding lowly on this donkey, they began to throw their coats on the ground and they took their palm branches and they threw them on the ground to create this parade for Jesus coming in. The crowds had gathered and they began to, it says they, they went ahead and they began to shout and they shouted, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest of heavens. And when Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and they, and they asked, who is this? And the crowds answered, this is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth of Galilee. Now Jesus had previously told them he wasn't coming as a national king, but, but they couldn't comprehend what this meant. A national king would not come riding in on a donkey. A national king would be on the white horse and a national king would come in after conquering a city and he would have prisoners tied up and following behind him and the people would be cheering because their king was there. Jesus didn't come in on a white horse or with prisoners. He came in on a donkey with people who were free behind him. And so he began to come in and the crowds began to gather and they, they laid their branches, their tree or their palm branches in front of him on the ground and, and they began to recognize him as a, a king and, and this was the coronation of him to be their king. The palm branches are significant because they always have represented victory and triumph. And so when they threw their branches on the ground in front of Jesus on the donkey, they were literally saying the victorious Jesus, the triumphant one is coming in. And they began to just declare Jesus as victorious through this demonstration of the branches they were shouting and they were laying down. They began to shout at the same time, Hosanna to the son of God. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And the word Hosanna is a word that means save now. And so they were literally standing in the streets with this parade of people and they were, they were shouting, save now, save now. And they were throwing branches, the, the palms on the, on the ground and they were saying, the victorious one, the one who can save now comes. And they were worshiping and they were praising him in the streets. And, 
And today when we look back at Palm Sunday, how do we reflect on that? And I will say that just like they began to declare, save us now, the victorious one, and they began to praise him publicly, one of the best things that we can do on Palm Sunday is to praise him publicly and say, the victorious one that saves us is here. And we can praise him and we can say, Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna. The victorious one is here. And let me just say to you, Hosanna, save now, Hosanna. Let me just declare this to us. Hosanna for every sin. Hosanna for every addiction. Hosanna for every disease. Hosanna over every spiritual attack. Hosanna for every worry. Hosanna for every broken family. Hosanna for every lonely person. Hosanna for every depression. Hosanna for every betrayal. For Hosanna for every murder. Hosanna for the families in Nashville who are struggling from the evil that came against them. The victorious one, the victorious church. Can you give me five seconds of victorious praise? Hosanna, Hosanna. Is there anything in your life that you need a victorious Jesus to come? A victorious one to say, save me. And I want you to know that Palm Sunday is a great day to declare victory over everything that holds you back in life because we know our Savior has come. Amen, church. And so Palm Sunday, at the end of our service, we're gonna go back into worship and I'm gonna give us as a church, a church as a moment to, to praise him publicly for Palm Sunday. But let me move us into the, through the week. Holy Week is made up of what is traditionally known as Monday and then jumps to Thursday. But, but Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday have significance. They're just not considered Holy Week. But let me tell you about these three days real quick. Monday is the day that Jesus, uh, you read in the Bible where he cleanses the temple. And as Jesus had now entered into the city, and then he goes and he visits the temple. Now, remember, this is the, the time of Passover and all these people were there. And the, the, Jesus sees these money exchangers outside and what they're doing is they're selling a, a small animal that can be used for a sacrifice because when they came, they wanted to sacrifice as a way for their sins to be forgiven. And because all these people were there, the money changers were taking advantage of this and they created inflation. And so what they did is they started selling these, these little animals for significantly more than they should. And Jesus got really frustrated at that. And, and what he did is he, he flipped over the tables and he began to say, you know, this is my house is a house of prayer. And what he was frustrated was that, that they were making it hard for people to meet with God. They were making it hard. They were making it about money. And Jesus said, no, no, my house is a house where it's easy to come. It's easy to know the Savior. It's easy as a prayer. It's simple as saying a prayer. And he's like, I'm with you. It was a prophetic moment too. As they were using an animal for sacrifice, Jesus was setting the stage that he would be the final sacrifice. That was Monday. Tuesday, Jesus returns back to Jerusalem and he begins to confront the religious leaders. And, and listen, they are super frustrated. 
The religious leaders, when Jesus came into the city, this was a trigger for them. Like they, they went to next level hatred because they realized that everyone was now looking to Jesus as a, as a savior and they weren't paying attention to the religious leaders. And so the moment he began to ride in, they became infuriated. So Jesus on Tuesday just goes to visit them and goes, well, let me just tell you, and he begins to tell parables about the kingdom and he begins to put them in their place about their hypocrisy and their rejection of his authority. And so he teaches about the days to come and that's on Tuesday. Wednesday, the Bible doesn't give us any indication. Many scholars believe this is the day that, that Judas, who would betray him, met with religious leaders to negotiate a plan for the rest of Jesus. And so that's Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday brings us to Thursday, which is called Maundy Thursday. The word Monday means command or a commandment. And on Thursday the, is the day that, that the disciples gathered in the upper room. This was the day they were going to celebrate the Passover. They were going to, to take the bread and, and the juice and to remember, they were going to remember what was behind them. They were going to look back at what Christ, or I mean, sorry, what God had done for the Egyptians. And that was the, that was what they were all doing. But Jesus used this moment to tell them, this is, this is me. I am the body. I am the blood that will be shed for you. And so they share this communion together. They share the bread and the juice. And Jesus uses that to teach them about his coming sacrifice. And then after supper, Jesus rises from the table and he he takes off his cloak and he begins to, or his towel, and he begins to wash the disciples' feet. And in that, he begins to teach them that to be a, a spiritual leader, it's not about being puffed up, but it's about serving others. And he gave them a commandment that you should serve one another and that you should love one another. They said, this is my commandment, that you would love one another. That's the Mandi commandment, that you would love one another. And then during that time, Judas left the table and he had already made arrangements to go meet with the, the Roman authorities and they were going to come arrest Jesus. And so Judas then left the room and, and this was the moment Jesus knew that, that everything about his crucifixion was about to come. He felt the weight of it and he went into the garden. It says he left and he began to pray. Bible says he prayed with so much agony that, that blood, that his sweat turned to blood and dripped from him. And he prayed this prayer because he understood what was going, was about to happen. And he prayed this prayer. He said, God, can you take this cup from me? But he said, nevertheless, your will be done. Nevertheless, God, I'll, I'll go through this because I'm here to serve the will of the father. And he prayed in agony that night. The next morning brings us to Friday. And by the way, Thursday, there's ways for you to celebrate that. You probably ought to meet with friends and family and take communion and serve others on Thursday. Well, that was the command of Maundy Thursday, serve others. And I, I would even pray late into the evening. Jesus went that evening to the garden and prayed. And Thursday night when you get there and you just before you go to bed, I recommend you say, God, your will be done in my life. Not my will, your will. 
Why don't you just have a moment before you go to bed reflecting on the moment that Christ was, his, 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 his sweat looked like blood. And he said, God, all that I'm gonna go through, I know it's gonna be hard, but your will be done. Won't you declare, God, I want your will in my life. God, I'm here to serve you. I'm here to serve others. And make that a declaration Thursday night. Make it special. And then Friday morning, Friday before Easter, this is the most solemn day for the church. Most solemn day. This year when we get to Friday, I would encourage you to consider what Friday was like to Christ. This was the day of his crucifixion. And we call it Good Friday. Interesting name for such a hard day for Christ. Good Friday, what does that mean? Well, the name Good Friday is entirely appropriate because the suffering and the death of Jesus, as terrible as it was, marked the dramatic culmination of God's plan to save his people from their lives. The Bible teaches us in 1 Corinthians 15. It says this, it says, for what I received, I passed on to you. This is Apostle Paul. And he says, I passed this on to you as of first importance, meaning this is so important. This is the most important thing. And what is the most important thing? That Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures and that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. And so we call this good news, this, the, the saving grace of Christ, that he died for our sins, that he was buried and that he was raised to life. That's good news because it's, it's good news for those who are perishing. It's good news if you're, if you're drowning and someone sends you a life vest. It's, that's good news for you. The bad news though, is if someone lives without Christ, if someone rejects Christ, then, then it's horrible news for them because without Christ, people are condemned and they're guilty and they're headed towards eternal separation from God. That's bad news. The good news though is a life with Christ for all those who believe in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. We are forgiven and, and we are redeemed and we are headed towards eternal life with God. It's good news for us, hard news for Christ, good news for everyone who believes in him. Now the Bible gives us a timeline of this Friday. And I wanna share this timeline with you so that you can, that you, you know how to kind of participate on Friday and what, what your, your attitude and your heart might look like on Friday. And the Bible teaches us that early on Friday morning that Jesus was falsely accused. And this is when Judas brought the Roman soldiers and he gave him the kiss on the cheek and he betrayed Jesus and they falsely arrested him and they, they tried him and he was, he was pronounced guilty to death. That was early Friday. And about 9 a.m., they turned Jesus over to the Roman soldiers and they began to, to mock Jesus. They slapped his face. They stripped his clothes and they put a, they put a, a robe on him and they, they laughed at him and they said, look at you. You thought you were the king of the Jews. And they placed this crown of, of thorns on his head that, that pierced his, 
his skin and, and blood began to pour. Then they began to scourge Jesus. What they did is they tied Jesus to a, a post, locking his hands around the post, exposing his back. And they began to, to whip him with an instrument designed to tear through the flesh and cause severe pain and bleeding. They took this instrument that had leather straps in it and they tied these pieces of bone in that leather strap. And so as they laid that upon his back, that bone would catch a piece of his flesh and they would peel it and it would rip his skin and it caused severe pain and bleeding to happen. And they beat him. Next, they forced him to carry a crossbeam towards the place where they would nail him to the cross. Such a hard moment. You may wonder, why did God allow this to happen? Why did God allow such a painful and, and something so gruesome to happen? And the reason is, is because this is the time that Jesus bore our sins in his body. You see, all sin must be punished. God, God, God has a disdain for all sin. He can't even position himself to see the sin. All sin must be dealt with. And so Jesus began to, to take upon his body the weight of the sins of the world and all the sins of the past and, and all the sins of, of that moment and all the sins to come were laid upon his body. And it was so awful because sin is so awful and God allowed all the sin to be poured out upon him and the punishment was great because sin is great. And I think about this moment that Jesus, he, he took my sin upon his body. It, it, it just, it wrecks me every time I think about that Jesus, as he was strapped to that post, he had me in mind. Every sin that I have ever committed, the sins that I committed this week and the sins that are to come, Jesus said, I take that upon myself. I take the punishment that Tim deserves upon myself so that he can be free. And he also did it for you. He did it for you too. He took your sin upon him. That was from nine to about noon. About noon time, as Jesus hung on the cross, the sky turned completely dark because the sun light had faded. This was the darkest day in history both naturally, spiritually. It turned dark, and I believe, because as Jesus now had sin upon him, he was sinless, but now all the sins were on him. I believe that Jesus took a step back and turned his back because Jesus cannot be with, um, God cannot be with sin. And as he turned his back, the sun went down. Darkest day. Jesus felt the the separation from his father. For the first time ever had he felt a, a separation because of sin. And it turned dark that day. 
Jesus hung on this tree, now nailed to the cross, about to die for the sins of all humankind. Three hours passed. Now it's 3 p.m. And Jesus declared this. He said, it is finished. And with that, he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. That's Friday. When you get to Friday this year, I want you to feel the moment. Maybe at 9 a.m., you take a moment and you reflect that he was tied to a post for mine and your sins. And let that sink for just a moment. At noon, darkness. That's what sin does. It always puts us in darkness. And then at 3 p.m. On, on Friday, that he said it is finished. Friday probably won't feel the same to you when you think of it that way. And so you'll get through Friday. We get to Holy Saturday. This is the Saturday before Easter. And this is the day we remember Christ as he lay in the tomb. So he had died. They took him off. They wrapped him, placed Jesus in a tomb. And we remember that on Saturday. Now, what was happening on Saturday? You know, sometimes when we think about our lives and, and we feel like dreams are dead, we think that things, circumstances are so unthinkable, we don't know what could be happening, but God's at work. We can't always see what God's doing, but he's at work. And, and I think about this moment for the disciples who, who looked at this tomb now that was sealed and, and Jesus was in the tomb and, and everything they hoped now was dead in his tomb. And, and, and so what was going on? And I'm going to give you what I believe is the truth, but it's, I, and I have scripture to back it up. It's easily debatable. So if you don't want to believe it, you don't have to, but this is what I believe happened on Saturday. I believe that on Saturday, Jesus' spirit descended into hell and preached to those who had died before his death and resurrection and gave them an opportunity to believe. Now, why do I believe that? Because 1 Peter 3.18 says this. It says, Christ suffered for our sins once for all time. He never sinned, but he died for sinners to bring you safely home to God. And it says he suffered a death, but he was raised to life in the spirit. Verse 19 says, so he went and preached to the spirits in prison, those who disobeyed God long ago. Man, I don't know what Jesus preached when he was there. I'd like to hear that message. One day I get to heaven, I'm going to say, hey, can you just play that sermon back? You know, I tried to preach a lot of years, but I want to see what a real sermon looks like. And he preached and I don't know what he said to them. Somehow he must have said, tomorrow I'm rising from the grave. You need to believe right now. This is your final chance. Revelation 1.18 says, I am the living one. These are the words of Jesus. He said, I was dead and now look, I'm alive forever. And he says, I hold the keys of death and hell. Saturday is a unique day on earth, a day after Christ's death and before his resurrection. And, and on the surface for the disciples, listen, they, they couldn't see anything happening, but 
I believe that God was at work. I don't believe it was a day of insignificance in the kingdom of God. I believe God was at work. And just as Jesus went down to to the pits of hell and he preached his sermon. I believe he took the keys from Satan and he said, now I own the keys to, to death and I give it to life and everyone who believes in me shall be set free. And I want to say to you, church, that just because you can't see God at work in your life and you can't see past the circumstances in front of you, just like those disciples, they couldn't see past the, the tomb. They couldn't see past the stone that had been rolled in front of them. They couldn't see it. But I want you to know, whatever's in your life that you see that's stopping you, that Jesus is at work behind the scenes, ready to deliver you, set you free, and bring you into freedom because he has the keys. The disciples, they were hopeless that day though. They thought Jesus was dead and gone forever. They, they, they couldn't comprehend Jesus being resurrected. And, and I understand that. Who could? It would be tough. This was a day that doubt set into their minds and, and they were at a place where they assumed that, that everything that they had learned for three years and all the dreams were dead and they thought, well, we, we had a, a Jesus to follow, but he's gone and now they're full of doubts about everything and they, and they thought it was finished. They thought it was over. But listen, church, neither Satan or the disciples knew that when Jesus said, it is finished, he meant Satan is finished. He meant death is finished. And he meant sin was finished forever. Amen, church? Because they didn't know that just in a matter of hours, Christ would rise from the dead as King of kings and Lord of lords. So this Saturday, church, when you get there, I want you to hang on to the promise that Jesus is at work, even when you don't see it. And I want you to cast doubt aside and say, I'm not going to let circumstances determine what I believe. And also, I want you to take some time and, and put yourself in the disciples' shoes for just a moment and think about what your life would be like without Christ. What would it be? That's where they were. They were like, well, he's gone. My life is now going to have to be lived without Jesus. What would your life look like without Jesus? I can only imagine what my life would look like without Jesus. I would be hopeless without him. I would, I would have no grace in my life. There would be no way to deal with the, with the mess ups and the hang ups in my life. I would, I would be stuck. I would be in a place without forgiveness. I would have no strength from the Holy Spirit to get me through. And I think that every person somewhere deep inside knows that there's something missing in their life and that something is Christ that saves us and sets us free. I would probably live with this, this place in me like something's not right. And that's where culture is today. And I want you to take a moment on this Saturday and think what your life might be like without Christ. And then I want you to take one moment and think, who do I know that doesn't know Christ? Who needs to be at Easter this year? Because without Christ, they're hopeless. Without Christ, there's no cross. And without the cross, there's no forgiveness. And Good Friday is not good for them. And I would love for you to invite people to Easter because they can hear the message of Jesus Christ. And so Saturday came and Sunday comes next. And hallelujah, Christ is risen. What a day.
Next Sunday, we're going to celebrate Christ is risen.